0: From its uh, shallow headwaters on Lake Itasca in uh, northern Minnesota, the Mississippi River flows southward to the Gulf of Mexico, spawning and sustaining life. Along its nearly 2,400 mile journey. To many, the river is a gentle giant, an untiring benefactor of good gifts. The mighty Mississippi is a bountiful self-replenishing storehouse of nutrients for farmland, a habitat for wildlife, a go-to place for all kinds of recreation, and a busy waterway for commerce. However, if it escapes its boundaries, that gentle giant can become a menacing monster. More than 40 dams and about 1,600 miles of levees attempt to control the mighty tide of the Mississippi. But there are times when the river flexes its muscle and pushes through these defenses. Disastrous floods turn prime riverside property into lakes. Whole towns are erased from the map, and levees in multiple states are wiped out. Without its boundaries, the river brings destruction instead of blessing. In many ways, love is like the Mississippi River. Love flows with life giving power, but without boundaries. Without boundaries, it can do great harm. And as we will see in this second letter. From the Apostle John, the boundary of love is truth. Now, before we get into this short letter, I need to provide you with the setting. This second letter deals with the same problem as the first the Apostle John is dealing with these Gnostics. These false teachers who claimed to be Christians with special knowledge from God that others did not have. They claimed to have deeper insights about Jesus when in reality they denied his deity They denied that He came in the flesh and they twisted the truth about God to accommodate the culture around them. They crept to churches, spread their lies, created confusion, did their damage, and now they are on the move. Traveling throughout the region trying to scoop up more converts from smaller congregations and even from Christian homes. In the days of the early church, there wasn't a Holiday Inn or a Motel 6. For strangers to stay in when they traveled into town. And so, evangelists and missionaries relied heavily upon Christian hospitality for lodging and support. And the Christian, as far as they knew, by showing hospitality, could be entertaining angels they weren't aware of. That's what they were told. So supporting these strangers who traveled into town was a great honor and an opportunity. Well, for these false teachers, these Christians were easy pickings. And they took full advantage of their hospitality. They would come into town. They were strangers. And they would claim to be Christians sent by God with their special knowledge. They would approach those who were in the church seeking support and a place to stay. And once they wiggled their way in, they would begin to spread their deceptive and dangerous lies to seek converts. This became a big threat to the church. So much so that precautions were established in a handbook called... The teaching. And here's a glimpse of the instructions that were issued to these churches. Particularly churches that did not have a strong, strong discerning leadership. Listen to this. Every apostle coming to you, let him be welcomed as the Lord. He will not stay more than one day. and if it is necessary, another. But if he stays three days, he is a false prophet. When going out, The apostle is to receive nothing except bread until his lodging is located. And if he asks for money, he is a false prophet. But not everyone who speaks in the Spirit is a prophet. Only if he has the manner of the Lord. Therefore, from his manner you shall distinguish between the false prophet and the prophet. But any prophet teaching the truth, if he does not do what he teaches, he is a false prophet. But everyone who comes in the name of the Lord, let him be welcomed. And then, having tested him, you will know him. And if he desires to stay with you, being an artesian, let him work. And let him earn his keep. And if he has no craft... Take this into consideration according to your understanding how he shall live among you as a Christian without being idle. And if he does not want to act in this way, he is a Christmonger. Beware of such as these. That's what's going on. That's the setting. And it would appear that some well-meaning Christians, okay, some well-meaning Christians motivated by a strong sense of love in the name of hospitality unwittingly Opened their homes to these false teachers, which prompted this second letter by the Apostle John for the need of discerning love. A love that is expressed within the boundaries of biblical truth okay you with me okay so with that said if you have your bible turn to 2nd john it comes after 1st john 2nd john and we will begin with verse 1 there's not a chapter here it's just 2nd john beginning with verse 1 John writes the elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth whom I love in truth and not only I but also all who know the truth For the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. In truth and love. John, who is now a very old man, generally thought to be well into his 90s, is the last surviving apostle. The rest have been martyred. He's truly... The elder. Not an elder, but the elder. The patriarch of the church. With great spiritual insight and oversight. And when he talks, people listen. And in his greeting, John identifies... The recipient of his letter as the chosen lady and her children. Who's the chosen lady and her children? Well, no one really knows for sure. Biblical scholars are divided, but there are two. Common views. Some believe that John is writing to an individual, an anonymous Christian woman and her children, personally known by John, while others lean towards the view that John is writing to a sister church and its congregation. And because of the great persecution against the church, John is being somewhat cryptic. He's being cryptic and is only identifying them as the chosen lady and her children. I think a good case could be made for either view. But maybe the answer is actually somewhere in the middle. Maybe John is writing to a Christian woman who has opened up her home, opened up her home for worship and fellowship. A local church is meeting in her home, which was a common practice in those days. That's how the churches started, in homes, and maybe that is the case here. Not sure. Now, if you noticed, in these first three verses, we see this link between truth and love. Truth and love. And when truth and love are in balance, grace and mercy and peace are enjoyed. There is to be a balance between truth and love, they are to coexist. But if we are not careful, we can overemphasize one at the expense of the other. To us, biblical truth is crucial, it's critical. But if truth is not balanced with biblical love, we can become rigid and judgmental in our attitudes. Maybe even harsh and cruel at times as the, the way we deal with people, especially those who disagree with us. Yes, what we say may be exactly true. Exactly true. But it has to be expressed in love. A discerning love. On the other hand, we live in a culture that pressures us To overemphasize love, at least their version of it, at the expense of the truth. We live in a culture that wants us to accept everyone no matter what they believe and how they live. To the point that we tolerate and justify. And in recent years, even applaud sinful behavior. And that's extremely dangerous in this life and in the life to come. Contrary to what some may say, love should not be blind. Love should not be blind. Real love is discerning. It's bound by truth, even when the truth hurts. A man received a call from his wife just as she was about to fly home from Europe. How's my cat? she asked. He replied, dead. Yeah, dead. Oh, honey, don't be so honest. Why didn't you break the news to me slowly? You've ruined my trip. What do you mean, he asked you could have told me he was on the roof. And when I called you from Paris, you could have told me he was acting sluggish. And when I called you from London, you could have said he was sick. And when I called you from New York, you could have said he was at the vet. Then, then when I arrived home, you could have said he was dead. The husband had never been exposed to such protocol before. But he was willing to learn. Okay, he said. I'll do better next time. By the way, she asked, how's mom? There was a long silence. Then he replied, uh, she's on the roof. (laughs) This guy dug himself into a hole. But it drives home the point that love and truth should be kept in balance. Or as John Stott puts it, our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth. And our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. I like that. For John, his love for this chosen lady and her children, whoever they might be, is grounded in truth, the gospel truth, the truth that does not change, the truth that abides in us, the truth that will remain forever. Like John, our love for one another is grounded in the gospel truth of Jesus Christ and the common salvation that we share. That is the truth that binds us together in love. It's a discerning love. And John is going to explain that we need to practice it beginning with verse 4. He says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, But the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love. That we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. As I said earlier, apparently John personally knew the recipients of this letter. And he was delighted to learn that some were walking in the truth, meaning they were obeying the truth. They were practicing the truth. They were allowing the truth to. To control every aspect of their lives. It's not enough to know the truth. Or to study the truth. It has to take hold of us. It has to be in our lives. It has to be practiced. And take note that John also mentions love... And God's commandments, which speak to obedience. If you recall from John's first letter, these were the three tests of a true believer. Believing the truth about Jesus Christ... Loving one another and obeying God's commands. John says, And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. If you remember from a few weeks ago, I explained that God has a love language Remember that God has a love language He told us what it was And his love language is obedience That's what resonates with God. And as an act of obedience, Jesus gave us a key command to love one another. Loving one another is an act of obedience to God. It's a basic command given to us at the very beginning. But this love has to have Boundaries. It has to have boundaries. It has to be discerning. Otherwise, we will not be loving the way God intended us to love. Truth and love must be practiced. It's commanded. But they must also Be protected. That's where John leads us next. So let's continue beginning with verse 7. Where he says. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver. And the antichrist. Watch yourselves, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. If you remember from his first letter, John was describing those who departed, from the church and the core beliefs of the faith they left both physically and theologically which revealed they were never really part of God's people to begin with and now they aren't just the deceived They are now the deceivers. They're deceivers seeking their own converts. They rejected the truth about Jesus and his finished work. They denied that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. They don't believe that the Son of God came into this world in the flesh and they don't believe he's coming again. And John says to the Christians, I know you are loving and hospitable. I know this, but watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Don't get involved with these deceivers, their cults, and their heresies. For if you do, you may not receive your full reward. Now what does John mean by that? I can tell you right off the bat that John is not talking about salvation. Because salvation is not something that we have accomplished. Christ accomplished that for us. And salvation is not a reward. It is a gracious gift given to us. The rewards that John is talking about are those rewards we receive in the hereafter for serving Christ in the here and now. There is a judgment for Christians. There is a judgment for Christians, but it's not a judgment for sin. It's not about salvation. Instead, there is a judgment where the character of our actions and our motives are evaluated by the Lord for rewards. This is what the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. Listen to what he says. According to the grace of God which has given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones... Wood, hay, straw. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. Okay. There will come a time. There will come a time when Jesus evaluates the quality of our actions and our motives. And those actions and motives that don't measure up. Those he considers to be worthless like wood. And hay. And straw, they will be burned up as though they never existed. And for those actions and motives that Jesus considers worthy and valuable, like gold and silver and precious stones, they will be rewarded. So what we do... And why we do what we do in this life has a bearing in the next. Does that make sense? What we do and why we do what we do in this life has a bearing in the next life. So John would say, Watch out, be on the alert. Abide in the truth, walk in it, have a discerning love so that you do not become deceived and lose your full reward. Then John gives us something practical to think about. Beginning with verse 9, he says. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Those words, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ are very revealing and almost prophetic in nature. For they speak against all religious groups who go too far and overstep the boundaries of truth, suggesting that the teaching of Christ is not adequate and we need to add to it. It speaks to those who say the word of God is old-fashioned. It's not progressive enough for us. It needs to be updated. It's too simplistic for our modern mind. It needs to be reinterpreted to suit our culture. That was occurring in John's day. And boy, is it occurring today. Now I need to explain verses 10 and 11. Otherwise, we are shutting our doors to unsaved family and friends. And I don't think that's what John had in mind. Sorry, Mom. (laughs) In context, this is important. In context, in those days when a person was received into your home, hear me, when a person was received in your home and allowed to stay, you were in effect vouching for them and their ideas. By allowing them in your home, you were giving your seal of approval. And indirectly participating in their work. Therefore, John, who understood that Christians had a desire to be loving and hospitable... Told them they also need to be very discerning as to who they allowed into their homes because they don't want to be seen as endorsing false teaching. That's the context. Again, love has boundaries and it's truth. And if we are accepting and encouraging those who are twisting the truth, then we're not being loving to anyone. So, how do you deal with those who come to your door? Should you invite the Mormons? And the Jehovah's Witnesses into your house. As a general rule. I would say no. If a wolf is at your door. Why let him in? But. But. If you do. If you do, you had better be armed with the truth because they are armed with lies and they are subtle lies. Also, do not do or say anything to encourage them in what they are doing. It would be wrong for you to give them any reason to think That you appreciate what they are doing. I have had several encounters at my door. I'm always courteous. Always courteous. But I will tell them up front. I am a born again believer in Jesus Christ. I know the truth of God's word. And they are wasting their time with me. I'm courteous. But I'm speaking the truth. Bottom line. Until you learn how to properly balance love and truth. The best policy is simply to close the door on those kinds of conversations. Now. I will also say, that for some, it's not the guys who are knocking at your door you need to worry about. It's the flashy, smooth-talking preacher on your television set. Or on your computer screen who spews very questionable doctrine who you have given your full attention. You have allowed them into your home. The same principle. You have allowed them into your home. And John would say, You need discernment too. And I will tell you as soon as you recognize the truth is being twisted, you need to turn them off. Okay. Let's look at the last two verses of this letter. Beginning with verse 12, John says, Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, so that your joy may be made the children of your chosen sister greet you. John closes his short letter explaining he wants to see them face to face. There is a great joy in genuine Christian fellowship where grace And mercy and peace are enjoyed. Right? But I also think there's a point here, a subtle point that needs to be made. Some could become so paranoid. So paranoid about the dangers of false teachers in their midst that they cut themselves off from true believers who love Christ and walk in the truth. You see that? When people are isolated like that, They are easy pickings. And they're headed for trouble. There's no need to be paranoid. Instead, John would simply say we need to be discerning. Just be discerning. In summary, Loving others is commanded and expected of a genuine believer. But with that said, the one who really loves is the one who tells the truth. Love is like a river. And truth is its boundaries. We need to know the truth. We're to walk in the truth. We must stand for the truth. But we must do so with discerning love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time in in your word. Thank you, Lord God, for the the clear distinction between truth and love. And how important it is to keep them in balance. Thank you for your truth. Father, help us to be people who are in the truth, who walk in the truth who live in the truth. But Father, at the same time, help us to be a people of discerning love. Father, give us wisdom and insight and discernment. Help us to know right from wrong, truth from a lie. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you, Lord, again for your word. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.